It's the TEH Podcast, episode 132. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So Apple's had a busy week. Yeah, it's so busy that we didn't do a show last week because I was too busy dealing with the stuff Apple did. Appling out, yes. Appling out, yeah. Uh, So, you know, um, but, you know, the announcement, it, it really comes down to three things. And it's useful to talk about it like a week after because it really brings into focus what was important, whereas it's really hard to tell on the same day right. sometimes. Um, the first thing uh, is, of course, uh, IMAX. So the new IMAX and Apple continues its march towards replacing all of its Macs with uh, machines that have their own processor in them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had a low-end MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, and a Mac Mini before, and now Apple adds the iMac, or at least the smaller screen iMac, to that list. They're but pretty... there's a couple couple interesting points about it <laughs> from a from a tech enthusiast standpoint. First of all, you've I'm sure you've seen pictures, right? Absolutely. Like I said, they're pretty. Yeah, they're very pretty. <laughs> but you know, there there have essentially been three designs for the iMac. There's the original design, which was that big colored bubble. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it made the iMac. It was a sensation, right? It was right. like the Mac is back and it was Steve Jobs whole thing. And it was like, yeah. And it was beautiful. And it was like for five years, they produced different versions of that with different colors and all sorts of things. And that was great. Then there was a very short lived second version, second design, which was only the G4 iMac. That was the one that was a screen that basically hung in the air with a little cantilevered arm and a half a sphere at the bottom. Oh, and yeah, I remember that. It, it's very unique, interesting design. It's the only old Mac I actually have on display in my office. I have one. I'm looking at it right now um, because it's this really cool design. Everybody is kind of nostalgic about it and all that. And um, it, it actually has a design element to it that carried to the third thing, which was the idea of the screen that just is in the air, a screen in the air. But the idea was, well, let's put the computer in the base and maybe people won't notice <laughs> that there's a computer <laughs> at all, right? And it turns out it's a pretty big base, right? So you, you certainly do notice that there's a big computer there. But the idea that maybe if they'd stuck with that design, the base would have gotten smaller and smaller as the components got more compact and you would have just been left with the screen. So for the next one, the third iteration, which only came a year later, was the G5 iMac. And that was basically just a screen. And it was a screen on a stand. And that was it. And the computer was behind the screen. Now, being around 2005, when this happened, it was a pretty thick screen. There was a lot of computer behind that. It was just a screen hanging in the air, but it was you know like two inches thick and heavy. So you could see what they were going for. They were going for just a screen. That's the design aesthetic. And they got as close as they could for that period of time. And every IMAX since then has, has evolved that design to make it thinner and thinner and closer to just a screen. And each as each version got thinner, they eventually ended up with one that was very thin at the edges, but kind of bulged out in the middle. It was kind of a curved design Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reminiscent of kind of macbook air kind of does this curve too so it's very thin at one end so you could look at it and say boy it is almost just a screen now and an illusion kind of held the you know hid the fact that it was like pretty thick in the middle there well now they i think have gotten to what they originally wanted 15 16 years ago which is just a screen i mean it's so thin it's basically like a 24 inch ipad it's just there in space, a rectangle. And the fact that there's a computer behind the screen and then below it, there's a space, you know, a chin, but that is mostly made up of the sound elements, right? right? There's sound, there's a couple fans and then some speakers and then the processors there in the middle. So, you know, you, you can only take the sound elements down so far before you kind of lose fidelity in, in those. And uh, it, it's pretty neat looking. So, you know, I'm kind of happy to see this. Instead of going to a completely new design, they kind of got to the end of the evolution. And now it's it really is basically a screen that sits there. It's it's only it's less than 10 pounds, including the stand, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's 24-inch screen with a stand that's less than 10 pounds. Um 
They did put the power supply outside, which of course was necessary for that last stat, right? You had the power supply to that. There's no way you make it that thin. Right. Um, so the power supply sits as a brick outside. I, say, just, I assume it's an inline brick and yeah. Yeah. And, and it actually did just something really cool. They put the ethernet connector in that brick. So whatever is coming, the cord from the back of the Mac is actually carrying ethernet or maybe some other digital format. Is it, it not be, a USB-C three? It, no, it's not. It's a special magnetic thing. And so it's, it's carrying some sort of digital connection and probably the ethernet is inside of the, the brick itself. Cause you can actually get a, you know, if you customize it or, you know, get the low end version without that, you can actually get the brick without the ethernet mm-hmm. in it. Um, so that's, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, but that's really all. I mean, it's a 24 inch screen. It's neat. They'll probably come out with a 28, 29, 30 inch screen. That I was going to ask end. if they were going to go for a bigger screen at some point. I, I think and a lot of people have been asking me that. And, and I warn them, be, you know, be careful what you wish for, because this is a, you know, the low end machine is 12 or is 1200 bucks. And, and then you can go to 1500 bucks and you're starting off from a good place. And then, you know, uh, customize from there. And this is a 24 inch screen with the M1 processor, the same processor Apple's put in the previous Macs. Mm-hmm. And people have asked, oh, is there going to be a bigger screen? And here's the thing. If they come out with, and I think they will, a 30-inch screen, they're probably going to put a different processor in it, like the M1X or M2 or whatever it's going to be called. And they're probably going to put a few more ports in it. It's probably going to be kind of more of a pro-level thing. You'll get what you want. But it's not going to be twelve hundred bucks, right? I mean, right. The, expanding the screen alone is going to make it much more expensive. So you know, it's the kind of thing where a lot of people, oh, I'll, I'll wait till there's a bigger screen version. Well, here's the bigger screen version, and it's two thousand four hundred dollars, right? You know, so so you may end up saying, oh, well, boy, if I'd known that, I, you know, I'm just going to get the twenty four inch version, and I wish I would have bought it when it came out instead of waiting, um, because you know, you ha- you can't just expect bigger screen, bigger processor, more options. And then, oh, for hundred dollars more? No, right. It's yeah. it's not going to be. Matter of fact, they may even go to mini LED for the big one, considering that the the their six thousand dollar Pro display is mini LED. And so I see them coming out with basically a screen like that, but not as feature filled. Mm-hmm. And if they're pricing that at six thousand dollars, right? You know, I mean, they go and say, well, okay, this is a 5K screen or 5.5K screen. So it's not quite as good, but they, they're still not going to price it at like 1500 bucks. Right. So anyway, that's all I really wanted to say about the iMac and the fact that the colors it, are back and all that. It, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, it. like I said, it, it looks pretty. Um, you know, if yeah. you're looking for a low-end machine, a low-end desktop, it's... Uh, it's low end, like, except it's got the same M1 processor that's in my MacBook Pro that now kind of paces my Mac Pro. Right. And so many things. I oh, did yeah. a I did an export of a, one of my videos, which takes about ten minutes to do an export um, mm-hmm. on a uh, on my Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. And you know, my Mac Pro still beat my you know fourteen hundred dollar MacBook Pro with the M1 processor in it, mm-hmm. but not by much. Right. Which you know pisses me off. It's like nine thousand dollars, <laughs> and it's not by much. You know. <laughs> so so yeah, you've got you've got that. Just now wait the for other the, the next the next bigger better M1 or M2 like yeah then, then you'll see. then you'll have a reason to to be uh... maybe <laughs> I'll have to see um, the the next thing I thought was interesting so Apple came out with a new iPad Pro it was due everybody thought it's time for a new iPad Pro and basically it's there's nothing extremely remarkable about it it's a similar design to the previous one. It you know bumps up the specs of like the camera a bit, and it's got like the the port is now Thunderbolt compatible, so you can hook up Thunderbolt devices to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a bunch of little things, except the processor in it. Everybody said, okay, the I think it's a fourteen uh, an A14X that's in the Mac uh, the iPad Air. So they they had a, like an A12X that was in the previous iPad Pro, and then it was an A13 that was in an iPhone. And then they went to an A14X for a new iPad Air. So now you had an iPad Air with an A14X and the iPad Pro still had the A12X. So it was like, all right, time for the iPad Pro to leapfrog and go to like an A15X or maybe right. the same A14X as the iPad Air. But instead they put the M1 processor in it, the Mac processor, which is 
interesting, I think, from a, yeah. you know, uh, it's the same exact process, not a version of it. So the mini, the Mac mini, the MacBook Air, the low end MacBook Pro, and the new iMac have the same exact process or rolling off of the same assembly line as the new iPad Pro. And, you know, first, a lot of people speculate right away. It's like, oh, does that mean that they're going to, you know, allow you to run Mac OS on the iPad? And I don't think so. <laughs> so if you want, if you want a M1 processor that runs Mac OS, they're giving you a whole bunch of options. They right. don't need to put it on this iPad Pro. Right. Um, but I think the more interesting thing is, is that their cost is always dependent upon how many you make. Sure. You make what you want to make one processor, one, it's going to cost you $10 million for that one processor, right? You have to develop it, you know, put all the research, testing, and then you have your one and you're like, here you go, $10 million to make this one processor. Now, if you wanted to make a couple hundred of them, you could, you know, you have to roll that cost, all the development cost into that, and then make a short run of these. And you're still paying thousands and thousands of dollars per processor. But the the processors get cheap when you start putting them in millions of devices. And if Apple's going to make a processor that appears in all these Macs, the more they can produce, the cheaper it gets. And if they go and they say, and we're going to put it in iPads too, well, suddenly there's a couple more million devices it's going in. That lowers the cost considerably of this processor. And uh, and I think that's what Apple's kind of going for here. Sure. Um, I'm wondering so, if the, the other direction, though, is also a possibility, because once you've now got um, all of your iPad running apps yeah. on this processor, mm -hmm. maybe you're running them on your Mac isn't such a far-fetched thing. But that's done. That's already here. What is? Yeah, because the M1 processor, even though tech, so the M1, the difference between the A14X or you know all the other mobile ones, and the M1 is the M1's a system on a chip, right? So there's a lot more going on in the chip than just the CPU, but it is the same architecture. So on the current pro, uh, machines, like the one I'm sitting with right now, mm -hmm. um, you could run iPad apps and i and iPhone apps on it. Matter of fact, if you go to the App Store on these uh, M1 Macs, you can do a search and then you get to choose between Mac App Store and the iOS App Store. And then you get to look at apps like, for instance, many of my game apps and they appear and then you could load them up on your uh, Mac that, as long as that has an M1 processor. That's already done. A lot of people complain about that, by the way, because developers have a choice. Uh, you could go in and say, make this available on the Mac or not. And a lot of developers have said not. And this has made a lot of people angry because a lot of these are the key apps that people really wanted to run, like, like streaming apps for TV services and such. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there are many reasons why a developer would say, no, I don't want this to run. One is that it's clearly not meant for the Mac. Like a lot of phone apps are, you know, they require like you're using your phone, you've got GPS, you're out and about, you're on the go, you know, and doing it on the Mac is not the experience developer wanted. Um, a lot have been designed for touchscreen and a, a lot have, uh, you know, I guess you could find them as like licensing issues. I mean, these streaming platforms, if they've got built into licensing for TV shows that, hey, they could be on set-top boxes and special TVs and mobile devices, you know, for these shows, and that's where, you know, our streaming services, then suddenly you have a computer that can play them. Right. You know, it's like, oh, no, well, what do we do? So I think that's a lot of it. Um, the other scenario I was thinking of was um, developers that actually want to have two versions of their software so that they can charge people yes. twice. Yes. And, you know, have a different, a different set of features, of course, in the desktop version versus the mobile version, but it's it's two different versions and two different things to buy. And the, the only, I guess, the only reason that would be the case now, though, is if they're in the process of developing that second version. Um, because uh, you know, it's like if they if they just wanted an easy way to get it on both, then it's like okay, just down, you can now do it on the M1 Max with my mobile version. The scenario I'm thinking of is the difference between Photoshop and Photoshop Express, right? Photoshop Express yeah. is a free download. You can do a lot of different things on your mobile device. Photoshop is very expensive, and sure, there are alternatives. But if you want Photoshop, that's what you end up getting. 
Um, now maybe you don't. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I, 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 I could tell you from the developer standpoint, I've seen the tools that they're now putting a lot of emphasis on like develop for iOS and Mac at the same time. Like I could easily go to my game and say, with a checkbox say, oh, there's also a Mac version. And I could put in the code things that would be different between the two. Like here's some menu bar stuff mm-hmm. for that's only in the Mac version and stuff. So it's easier than ever to actually have this one app and then publish as here's my iOS version and here's my Mac version. Um, and I hope more developers do that. Uh, but the, the ones people are complaining about, they're kind of in limbo. Like the developers aren't really saying why they're right. not allowing right. it on the Mac. Another reason is bugs too. Like there are certain things that are there bugs that may become apparent when they're on a Mac screen. I saw this in several of my apps that are looking at screen sizes and like, what's the screen size of the device? Okay. Behave this way for this screen size and this way for that screen size. And it gets to a Mac and suddenly it's in a window. Mm-hmm. So it's really confused because there's a window size. There's a, there's a device size. The device size doesn't match anything. You know, it's, it's very confusing. And the result was the game just didn't, it wasn't right. You know, you saw like the top left corner of the game or you saw the whole game, but it was way too small to actually read the text. Right. A lot of stuff like that went on and hopefully developers will fix those things. But then I also know from experience that sometimes developers are like, oh, give me a break. I, I made this game two years ago. It's doing okay, but I'm not. I'm not going to put any more work into it. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised that Apple has given them an option somewhere that says, don't display this in the Mac store. Well, Only the well no, it does. That's what exactly what it, they're doing. As oh, they're so saying, they're explicitly, I'm, yeah, so they're explicitly saying this is they, mobile only. But I'm, is, well, I guess what I'm saying is, don't display this in the mobile store on a Mac. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. They the, are doing the, that. The, okay. That's the checkbox. Okay. You go in there as a developer. And you say, don't display this in the Mac app. You know, when, when you're on a Mac, don't display this in the iOS side of the Mac app store. Okay. And that's, and, and the thing was when they first released the M1 Macs, a lot of developers didn't know to do that. Okay. So you had a lot of people grab these apps yep. and be like, oh, cool. I can now do this app on there. And now it's not available anymore. Right. So you've got that. Um, anyway, that's uh, enough about that. Cause I'm going to get to what I think was the third interesting thing and it's something we talk about a lot here you know these are gadgets right tech enthusiasts air tag so it's air tag and it's said without the s right it's like you don't say max let's talk about max well i guess you do kind of but you say the mac or whatever so it's air tag without the s it's very confusing because most people are still using air tags and all that but as you know, I have, I have probably, one air tag and I have two air tags. What's the? I'm not uh, sure. Yeah, well, you can have two air tags, but let's talk about the air tag. I don't know. So, the air tag, <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen it. It's a little round device, like a coin, and it could help you track things. Uh, and it's not a new kind of device. There's a company called Tile that's been doing this for a while. Right. We have one of those on on one of our Kindles, actually, that yeah. seems to get hidden every once in a while. Yeah. So it's use it's an interesting device, but Apple really, I guess, uncovered a whole hornet's nest of issues when they started developing this, which is probably why it took so long. And now we can kind of clearly see what they are. And that's that th- these types of devices are really ripe for abuse. And what was probably preventing this abuse on earlier devices is the fact that in order for these to work, they need to come into contact with a device that's listening for them. Right. You know, you have a, an air tag or a tile and it's wandering around the park because it's on your dog's collar that's gotten out of the yard. And it's a Bluetooth device, basically. And it's telling any Bluetooth device that'll listen, hey, I'm here. But if Bluetooth devices don't care, they don't care. And, you know, it, it might as well not even exist. Now, with something like tile, if you had dial installed on your phone, it could be listening and it could say, oh, okay, I hear you. And let me send the signal back in that this device has been spotted. The only problem is not that many people had like the tile uh, app installed with AirTag that changes because 
AirTag will send out a signal and any iPhone will listen. You don't have to have an app installed. And any recent iPhone, I guess, last you know three years worth of iPhones. You don't have to have an app installed. You don't have to have anything enabled. Your iPhones are un- always listening for Bluetooth devices. You know, if you ever are sitting around a bunch of people and you bring up the Bluetooth screen, a bunch of stuff's going to come up, right. right? It's all these people's Bluetooth speakers and other phones and things that are going on. Well, your iPhone now, you know, it, it's all kind of figured out from a privacy standpoint. The AirTag sends a private code. It's a rotating basically hash of its ID. Mm-hmm. Um, and your uh, an iPhone gets that and says, I have no idea what this is, but I'm supposed to tell Apple. And then your phone says, here's this thing and a location and never, never mind who I am. <laughs> right. I'm not giving you my name. <laughs> right. So it just basically sends the information. It says, I'm an anonymous reporter telling you a location and this code that I heard at the park or wherever. So that's all figured out. And we knew all that. We even talked about it on the show like last year um, about how these things will work. Mm-hmm. That's all fine, but it'll actually work now because there are a billion iPhones. <laughs> um, so as opposed to third-party devices that relied on the few people out there that had the software installed, these will actually work. As I you walk through, as your dog wanders through the park, it's going to come into contact within 50 feet of somebody with an iPhone. And it's going to ping back and you'll be able to get a location on your dog or your lost backpack that you don't remember where you left it. You know, right. it's, go, it's going to work. But because it works now, it could be used by all sorts of, uh, for all sorts of reasons that really it shouldn't be used. Like, for instance, tracking people that don't want to be tracked. I was thinking of slapping one on a car myself. but Well, that's true. You can slap it on a car, but you could also drop it in somebody else's bag. Right. Or attach it to them some other way right. where um, they now, you can now stalk them, right? It'd be very cheap, 25 bucks, and sneak this into somebody's purse or backpack or briefcase or whatever. And now you can keep tabs on them. And uh, I guess Apple had to come up with a whole system to not let it be used for that. How? <laughs> well, how can you? Well, here's how it works. First thing is, the div- this thing knows when you are with it, right? You register it to you, you and your iPhone, okay? And it's perfectly happy if it's together with you. In other words, it's in your backpack and your phone's in your pocket. And this is a happy device, right? It's it's where it should be, traveling right. with its owner. Right. Um, so it's when it gets separated from you that it starts to uh, behave differently. Cry for help. Yeah. So one of the first things it does is, yeah, I mean, obviously you can try to locate it if it's separated from you. Um, Also, uh, it will start to beep if it's separated from you for a long period of time. Interesting. We're not quite sure what the period of time is, but there have been some sources that say three days. Three days. Wow. (laughs) So, but this is, you know, so you haven't noticed it's missing. You know, obviously if you leave your backpack on the bus, you're going to be like, oh, no, I left my backpack on the bus. You're, you, you can now go and put it into lost mode. So you can actually make it beep, first of all, right there. The second thing you can do is you can track it now. So, you know, you could be in full mode. But this is like you have now stuck it on somebody that doesn't right. want this thing. So it will start to beep after three days. And so you can't really, you know, indefinitely track that person without them knowing. The other thing is, is that they have an iPhone or... Uh, perhaps an Android phone too, but it's kind of unclear, but definitely if they have an iPhone um, and the device is like, I'm not with my owner, but I am with this other iPhone an awful lot. Like all day long, I've been with this other person. It will actually put up a message on that phone. Hey, did you know there's an air tag on you somewhere or near you or traveling with you? I think is the term. So you get this alert telling you, about this device that's following you around. Now you can choose to ignore it because it's like, oh yeah, that's my wife's air tag. Right. I'm I have her suitcase for this trip that I'm on. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, ignore. I'm fine. It can track me. <laughs> um, but you can also figure out what I didn't know that. I didn't know this thing was on me. 
Um, so that's kind of their way of preventing. It's like, you know, it'll kind of, kind of alert the person. And even if they don't have any way of knowing that, it will eventually start beeping and being, you know, separated from its owner. Right. And and alert that person that there's something in their bag or something like that. So Apple thought a lot about this and there's obviously a lot still out there. Like they can change the amount of time and all that. Sure. Um, the whole idea is that this is not a device for tracking people and they want to make sure it's not used for that. They also say it's not for tracking your car or your dog, but I think it still is like, I still plan on putting one on my dog who will be with me almost all the time. But if uh, he does get out of the yard, which is never done, I would want to at least have a percentage chance of maybe that being something that assists me in recovering my my. I buds. would be so. concerned of all things about the beeping. Um, that's something. You well, that would be after three days, though. It's after three days or for three days. No, no, no. It would be after after three days or some amount of time. We're not sure about. It doesn't start beeping right away. Ah, okay, okay. So, okay. and you can make it start beeping. So you could do that. So if you're, ah. you know, if you know, you know, the dog is nearby, and you're like, uh, you could make it beep. Maybe that'll help you. Um, right. But, well, I, I was just wondering about testing the dog because some dogs are going to freak out. Oh yeah. Well, hopefully that it's not that, but, yeah. um, but you know, it'll be the kind of thing where it would just be, I guess Apple also doesn't want it to be liable to be like, Hey, I put that on my dog and the dog didn't get returned to me. Right. Um, but and also cars too. I mean, it's, the cars are interesting because cars already have lots of tracking devices for them and such. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're talking about an expensive item, like a car, you know, you might find it more worthwhile to pay, say, 75 bucks for a GPS tracking device. There's that. And um, you know, I'm sure that these things are not meant to be literally slapped on on the exterior of a vehicle. Right. You know, they're not going to handle water very well. They're not going to handle no. mud. Um, and dropping it on the inside of a car probably isn't likely to be particularly effective just because your car is a rolling Faraday cage anyway. So nobody on the outside is going to see the signal. Maybe. So I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm going I'm to get some of these and I have no problem testing it sure. to see whether or not. Now, you know, the problem being that if I put it in my car, then I'm with it. So then it, there's no point. You know, I can't really test if it's tracking anything if I'm right. sitting there with my iPhone. And if I put it in my wife's car, well, she has an iPhone with her. I don't really want to track that i mean it is obviously her iphone is going to be reporting its location right so you know the interesting thing would be if you know finding a friend and saying do you, oh do you mind putting this in your car for a day or two and me track gift you. for you yeah yeah you know <laughs> i don't know i have to i have to kind of figure that out how i'm gonna sure. how i'm gonna test that now here's another aspect of it and it, a part that people have been getting um confused about and i think personally in a a hilarious way. <laughs> People have been complaining that because of this thing where you could, you know, it'll warn you, oh, something is tracking, something's tracking you that's not yours. And you can then, uh, an option you have then is to disable it, right? This item has been tracking me. Uh, okay. Oh, yes. I would like to disable that mm -hmm. and stop it from tracking you. So somebody says, oh, so you can't use it for anti theft. Right. If you stick it on something, the thief can disable it. Why would the thief even bother? All the thief needs to do is throw it away. <laughs> it, I mean, it's like, why, you know, it's like, hey, I found a tracking device on this. Boy, if only I knew how to disable it. I guess I don't. I'll just have to wait for the police to arrive. No, just throw the tag away. I wouldn't even you know? do that. I'd stomp on it myself. Or stomp on yeah. it or, or whatever. You know, it's like it's like there is there is an easy way to just to quote disable quote the tag no matter what you do with so the thing. Does this have I'm sure it has the ability, but has it been exposed to not just track its current location? Yeah. but track its path. I'm not sure. We're going to have to see what it looks like in the software. Because one of the things I would it. do yeah. is I would ship it to someone. Yeah, yeah. And then just well, sort of thinking, see where and when it shows up. I was thinking of dropping, well, just shipping, just dropping in the middle of myself. Well, sure. Is yeah. what I was going to do. I could drop it in the middle of myself. Um, although, well, technically it doesn't have... It has a a uh, the the CR uh, twenty thirty two standard battery. Right now, I know when you 
ship things that like that, it usually has the little plastic tab and you have to pull it to activate it. Oh, so that's to keep the battery from draining. I don't know what the legalities are of, um, I think you're fine. I've certainly gotten things yeah. with that turned on when they arrived, but so, I, so I would love to it. Number one, just drive it to the post office, drop it off and then track it as it comes back to me. But number two, if, if that is interesting, I would love the next time I'm on, I'm on vacation <laughs> to drop it in the mail back to me and watch it come home or simply mail it to a friend across the country and have right. to mail it back. Right. Uh, it would be an interesting experiment and probably something, yes, I would do. The other the thing other, that would be fun would be to uh, cool. FedEx it to yourself and watch it go to Memphis and back. Yeah, there you go. Um, the other aspect to it, there, you know, there's a whole other aspect where there's local location finding for this, which is really interesting and something it didn't get talked about much beforehand. So when it's near you within 50 feet or more likely 30 feet in normal circumstances, um, and so it's somewhere in your house, you just don't know where it is, or maybe you know that it's at the, at the convention center you were just at. So you go and you go near its location. And it can actually communicate directly with your phone. It will, with the latest couple models of phone, uh, send a signal and it can tell how far it is and what direction it is. So it basically plays a little game of hot and cold <laughs> with you, or hot or cold, I guess. And it shows you a little arrow on your screen, says this way, 12 feet. And you can walk right up to it and find it which is, I guess, the idea for losing your keys and the sofa cushions, that kind of thing. Sure. You could, you know, it wouldn't be much good for something to say, like, it's here, it's in the house. You know, like when you lose your iPhone and you go and say, where's the iPhone? That's in the house. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. That's why you call it and have it make noise. But yeah, yes. you call it yeah. and have it make noise. But uh, the, you know, this could actually help you locate it really, you know, just zoom in on it. Um, so yeah, so I ordered, I ordered a, a, a pack of four and get it, um, this Friday and hope to have a fun weekend playing around <laughs> with it. And I'll have to check back in you, with you on the next show and see how, yeah. uh, what kind I didn't of things order you any, discovered. You know, the problem is it's just a little disc that, you know, by itself, you can only do something like put it into a backpack or put it into a piece of luggage. Um, the, uh, it'd be, you know, you have to get something, a cover, a keychain. Uh, a way to stick it to something mm -hmm. um, for, you know, other uses and all. So I'll kind of be limited. I probably need to look and find what sort of dog collar thing is available um, and uh, try it out with my dog. Sure. And I, I don't know, it's hard to try it out with the dog because it's like either somebody with an iPhone will be walking the dog or mm -hmm. the dog's home, or hopefully the dog doesn't actually get out. I mean, he, you know, so how do I actually know? I guess I could give it to somebody else's dog. Um, we do have a, we may, you know, have the dog staying with the dog sitter at some point when we go on a trip. Mm -hmm. And that would be a way for me to, um, we actually have a dog sitter that works at a company that designs and sells dog toys. And uh, when she is sitting the dog, she takes the dog into work because obviously it's a of work course. environment what a blast. that is dog friendly. Um, and the dog becomes a tester, an unpaid tester. Uh, <laughs> but that would be interesting to actually have, see that and actually be able to see, you know, a dog. Actually, if they design dog toys, they might actually be interested in designing something specifically for these devices yeah. that can be attached to a collar. Yeah, definitely. I expect to see lots of interesting things. Uh, so when you started talking about the AirTag and the original a description yeah. of exactly how it worked. And it's basically proximity bumping into uh, nearby iPhones and such. My mind immediately went to contact tracing. I'm mm. wondering how much of what Apple has worked through on this device over the last 12 months has been impacted by all of the discussions and all of the ramifications that are showing up wherever about the COVID-19 uh, contact tracing apps that some of us are running. Uh, they don't seem to be particularly effective in that yeah. I'm not hearing of anybody suddenly, you know, hearing that they've been near someone with COVID-19 and now they've tested positive or that they've even been tested at all. But I do continue to get the nag whenever I've got Bluetooth turned off on my phone that says, hey, I need Bluetooth if you want me to track your, you know, if you want me to trace contacts. Yeah. Uh, it just seems very, very similar in concept to what that technology was all about.
it is it is disappointing that contact tracing really hasn't gone anywhere um, because I see it. You know, obviously that's built into the phones, and it was a nice uh, you know cross platform effort to to have a similar system built into Android and iPhones, and so you know it could be used. And it's a shame it hasn't gone anywhere because I see that as being an extreme, extremely useful tool at the end, the very tail end of this pandemic. When we get down to the point where it makes sense to say, hey, somebody at this restaurant, uh, you know, has come down with COVID-19. Everybody that was there that evening should go out and get a test. Um, Obviously, for a long time, it just was pointless because you had you know, one in 500 people walking around with COVID-19 at the peak there. And you would just be, you know, if you did, if you, if you stayed home, you would never get an alert. And if you had things to do to go out and do things to go to stores and all, you would get the alert all the time. So I could see why it didn't work there, but, you know, to get that last step to actually try to eliminate a disease like COVID-19, I think contact tracing is is absolutely necessary. I think and one of the problems is even though the, um, you know, it's, it's the technology is enabled similarly, at least in a compatible mm-hmm. way across iPhones and Androids, uh, the applications are not, uh, there's not a nationwide contact tracing. Yeah. There's, you know, yeah. like I was just, while you were talking, I was looking at my Washington state contact tracing app and it showed that, you know, I checked in and a half an hour ago and I checked in an hour and a half ago and those kinds of things. Um, what it's not telling me is that it's come into contact with anybody ever. Yeah. I get that, you know, that might be information that it might have some privacy ramifications, but it would be reassuring for me as someone who cares about exactly the same thing, that the app is here, that it's working and that it is somehow contributing to, uh, to the end of the pandemic. It'd be nice to know that, you know, yep. In the last week you stumbled into 150 people and none of them were tested, you know, none of them reported positive for COVID. Yeah. Um, but that's just not the way these things are working. So. Yeah, I just don't. I just, I, yeah. But like I said, I, the I, the original concept of the AirTag just sounds so much like, yeah, the devices are communicating with each other in a very simple way. They just say, hey, I'm not telling you who I am, and I have no idea who you are, but yep. I'm telling this trusted third party that I saw you. Yep. And uh, and even you know the security is interesting. The the hash that identifies the AirTag mm-hmm. changes. So, which I find interesting. I'm not sure. Yeah, because it has to, because, okay, so say it has an ID number, like, you know, that's a standard ID number that it's at, you know, that's, okay, this is your AirTag. If it put that into a hash, so it's encrypted, so you can't tell what it is, but it's always the same. Right. Then you could simply say, well, I don't know whose device this is, but I know where it's been and I can keep tracking it over long periods of time. I wonder if they're using the same technology as two-factor. Yeah, I, I think it is probably similar. And, you know, it would just basically change every day. Or I don't know how long, I mean, 12 hours, four hours. I don't know how long it takes to change, mm-hmm. but, you know, so you just can't, you, you know, you can't kind of hack it to say, well, I'll just have a Bluetooth device that records everything. And I could figure this out. I could figure out, you know, oh, the same person visits this location every day at this time because it's the same code because it wouldn't be the same code. You wouldn't be able to tell that it's yeah. a code from that same device because it's a completely different code. Sure so it wouldn't, why it wouldn't actually be the same as the two-factor authentication codes that change every 30 yeah. seconds. Oh, I'm sure it uses it to, in order to, in order to have a way for um, the database to kind of know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly. I know that Apple's database, you know, when it's all this data stored there, it doesn't actually know much of anything. It's when you call out to it right. and say, Hey, I'd like you to look up these records for me. And Apple's database is like, oh, okay, I have a bunch of data here that you requested. I don't really know what this means. Right. <laughs> and then and then you get it. So you your device, you know, your iPhone knows that your air tags were these ID numbers at these times or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to Apple and, and it requests this data. And Apple says, I've got a bunch of encrypted locations. And then your iPhone says, yeah, I know how to decrypt those. Just send them to me. Yeah. And then your iPhone gets them and says, okay, now based on that stuff that Apple sent me, I can recreate the picture of, you know, where this, this air tag is. And it's already, it's already been doing, this isn't actually, that system has been in place and been tracking iPhones and other Apple devices for a few years now. Right. 
AirTags are just the, you know, a, a device that has this singular purpose right. uh, for doing this rather than it being a, you know, a, something built into the device itself. And Apple's probably, you know, going to be building the same thing into other, other devices. People were lamenting the fact that they obviously didn't have this ready in time for the, those AirPods Max. It would have been nice for the AirPods Max, those oh, $500 headphones, right. to just have that built in. Right. You know, and well, it'd be, yeah, yeah, very cool. Next version, I guess. The the other, um, let's see, where was it going? I forget. Oh, the I was just going to say that I'm sure that the uh, the random is so called randomization, or at least changing of the uh, of the identifiers, is one of those things that is just an incredibly interesting use of um, public key cryptography. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, and it's fascinating, but unfortunately it's hard for people to understand how it works. Um, so you have, you have three, three types of people. You have people that don't really care, you know, just like, okay, I trust Apple's going to do whatever. And they say it's private and all that. It's fine. That's probably the vast majority. Then you have the small group of people that would be like, oh, this is fascinating how it works. <laughs> and, you know, I understand how it's keeping the information private. Um, and then you're going to have a small group of people on the other side that are being like, I don't trust it. Yeah, exactly. I was, <laughs> was going to say, <laughs> I'm being tracked. Oh no. Yeah. But you know, you don't have to, you don't have to use it if you don't, you know, it's all, everything's opt in here. It's, uh, Which actually is an interesting segue. I know you're sick yeah. and tired of talking about it. Yeah. But well, the, yeah, but you know, yeah, the iOS stuff that just released today, I think we should at least say something about it that um, apparently a bunch of uh, apps on your iOS devices are going to start asking you for permissions that they've had all along, but now they have to ask you for. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, you know, it's the ad tracking permissions. It is basically what it is. I mean, apps can track you for a variety of different reasons, but most, most of what we're dealing with here is has to do with advertising. So you could be using app a and app and in app a you showed interest in some topic or something right and then in app b which uses the same ad system it would know that you're interested in that right. topic right. You know? it's a classic case of ads following you wherever you ads go. following you around so you know and apple's kind of putting a stop to that inside of the apps um not completely because you can opt in and say sure you know it, you know that's okay for this app to do it mm -hmm. um and it's, and also I don't think, I mean, if you're using Facebook, I mean, you're logged into your account, Facebook knows who you are, right? It doesn't need to use any of that stuff. Well, they do. And they don't, I mean, they don't know necessarily without your permission now, Yeah, they won't know that you did something interesting in another app. Yes. In another app, but in the, but if Facebook knows that you're interested in topic a already, you know, they could still target ads to you. Sure. Um, so, you know, obviously there was a bit of a war or a battle fought between Facebook and Apple over this with Facebook, uh, you know, one time saying this was going to destroy all of Facebook, social media and the entire Internet. And then <laughs> at one point saying, oh, this actually may uh, improve our ad revenue because <laughs> uh, because they're in a better position to serve customized ads to people than most are in a world where you can't be tracked. Right. Because you have a profile with that, you know. So it's at a practical level, though, the average iPhone user are they yeah. just getting inundated with these messages today? Or, or I haven't seen it. it. Like? Okay. I tried launching a bunch of different apps to see if any came up, but I couldn't get any to come up. And there's a screen that tells you what, uh, which apps have asked for permission, and there's only one listed there. Hmm. Now, granted, a lot of people use different apps that. I mean, maybe I don't or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I just really haven't tried like any things like, I mean, I just brought up, you know, like TikTok didn't ask me, uh, brought up Instagram. I mean, many of these, well, you know, may have already. Okay. Instagram's already integrated with Facebook. So that's not an issue. right? I mean, you know, so, and if I go to my settings app and I look for under privacy um, and under where is privacy privacy and then i look at this tracking setting here it's still it's just telling me um i'm i'm, I'm i have set to allow apps to ask me you know so i'm not right. just denying outright right. and it only shows me that the major league baseball app is the only one and i've not given it permission so 
you know, okay, how it's interesting to see how it shakes out over the course of the next few days. Yeah, I, I, I do think there's a big flaw in a lot of this stuff in that, like for my apps, I'm using Google's AdMob system, you know, the biggest mobile advertising network out there by far. Mm-hmm. And I, I have them in my in my games. You know, that's how I make money from the games. And I all I can do to put AdMob into my games is take the AdMob API and add it to my games. I can't like write my own code that serves up the AdMob stuff. I have right. to use Google's, right? Now their API may or may not ask for lots of different tracking kinds of things. And so when I go and fill out the privacy stuff with Apple, I have to go and say, my app may track this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And my game doesn't care. <laughs> right. my, my code is not doing any of that. It's all in that Google AdMob API. And I also went to Google's AdMob system and it says, hey, do you want your mobile ads to track users and all this? And I was like, no, 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 and no. I turned all that off. Right. I opted out of all of that, not just the US stuff, but like the EU stuff. It was like, I don't want any of that. Serve up ads the best you can. But you know, I want it to be the best privacy experience possible. Sure. sure. So I don't know, like I have checked, I'm sure that I've checked a bunch of things and told Apple a bunch of things that I may be tracking that I'm absolutely not tracking because right. of those settings. But, but unfortunately, there's very little guidance out there. So I guess what I'm saying is that ads or games and apps like my, mine are going to grossly over-report things. Um, That's you know, why I was expecting the flood of notifications, you know, when this, yeah. this, this got enabled. Yeah. And like, you know, when the old, you know, when these, when these privacy things first started coming up years ago, like the classic example was that uh, people would get a warning saying this app uses your camera and microphone. And they'd be like, what, what, wait, what my camera and microphone. Oh, this watching me and it's listening to me. And all it is, is it might be like a photo, like retouching app, right? right. That allows you to take a picture or a video. Right. So when you hit the button, say, take a video, it's of course using your camera and microphone to take a video. It's not doing anything nefarious with it. It's just one of the features of the app is like, you know, instead of, oh, you have to film the app in one, you know, film the video in one app and then take it into this app to process. You could actually just film the the video in that app. So of course it needs your camera and microphone. It doesn't mean it's using it all the time. So. Oh, Siri was bothering me right there. Um, <laughs> I heard Siri in the background. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the so it is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, the, it's the same kind of thing here. You know, an app says it's tracking your location. It's like, nah, not necessarily. Right. It may just be that the ad network, if per- things were set up right, may want to serve ads to you based on your location. In other words, car dealerships in. Denver rather than car dealerships in Seattle. Right. You know, and that's, it's not tracking your location. It just wants to know right. your general location. So a- anyway, tracking has become kind of a loaded word these days because it's being used to yes. mean so many different things that aren't really tracking. As all, as a lot of this stuff, I mean, you look at my, this one app, uh, you know, and it, it says it's, there's a lot of stuff in the privacy listing. You know, it, it's like a lot of things that would make you scratch your chin and say, why is this simple game, you know, why does it care about this? And it's all because you have to paint the broadest picture for the privacy stuff to be legal. And who knows, you know, it's probably not using most of that stuff. And if it is just to serve up an ad that's trying to be relevant to you, maybe, I I don't know. So anyway, it's uh, hopefully this is a a lot of nothing. Like hopefully it's one of those things where like, you know, okay. The whole internet advertising world didn't collapse. You know, small businesses aren't going out of business because they can't suddenly advertise to you or have apps that have ads in them and get support that way. I mean, hopefully that's what's going to happen. And, um, you know, things just move forward, but, uh, We'll we'll see. So, um, let's move on to some cool stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. So um, this it looks like for both of us, it's going to be what we've been watching lately. Yeah. Um, we, uh, I, I don't have it on the list. We just finished the third season of a uh, an Aussie um, kind of sort of crime detective mystery type thing called Harrow. We're having, we had a lot of fun with that one. Um, he's actually a, a medical examiner 
and uh, medical examiner who doesn't follow the rules kind of ah uh, yeah breaking um, the rules all the time it's and it's it's entertaining for a number of reasons anyway what we started watching the other night was the nevers on hbo hbo max actually mm-hmm. and uh, we've been seeing some of the um, the ads for it of course um uh, they've been tracking us and um <laughs> You know, it just looked kind of interesting. And yeah, we were hooked right on the first episode. It's uh, three episodes out now. We've watched all three of them. The It's really difficult to describe, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but the words that I threw in, in the description are that it's kind of, well, it's set in Victorian England in late 1800s. Um, it is, it's definitely got a steampunk vibe to it. Mm. There is a magical aspect to what's going on, but maybe aliens. In other words, it may be magic <laughs> from outer space. It's hard to tell, but it's a really, it's it's so far, it's been a really, really interesting story and uh, we're looking forward to watching the rest of it. If you've ever watched Carnival Row, have you by any chance? I, I watched the first season. Okay. Um, it, it's got that kind of a vibe to it. It has, you know, that when I think about the sets and the look and the feel and when they're in um, the city in, in Carnival Row, uh, it's got that same kind of a gritty, you know, late 1800s Victorian kind of feel to it, um, along with a little bit of magic thrown in. So that's what it reminded me of. The other thing we've been watching, uh, and this one, this one literally we just started last night uh, because we had an hour free, uh, is The Irregulars. And that is um, uh, a, a also turns out very coincidentally Victorian England type thing, but it's essentially a, uh, a play off of the irregulars from Sherlock Holmes, where they mm. are actually out investigating various crimes on behalf of, in this case, not Sherlock Holmes, but um, Dr. Watson. Uh, it's it's very different. Yes, once again, there's magic involved. Um, but it's also very well done, um, you know, very, very nicely, um, very nicely put together, entertaining stories. And we're looking forward to watching the rest of that. So we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of good TV lately to, uh, to stream. How about you? The one thing, mm-hmm. the one thing that bothers me, and the reason I haven't started watching the regulars yet is because I think one of the central things about Sherlock Holmes and the Sherlock Holmes universe is nothing is supernatural. Even though the author of Sherlock Holmes didn't believe that, he always set it up and that there was always an explanation. So there was always these, these spooky things going on and Sherlock Holmes would, you know, show you how it was, there was a reasonable explanation, but it seems like the regulars, there is supernatural. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Then, I can then tell you from I'm, the very first I'm episode going that to have there's- a problem. There's something weird going on and I'm sure yeah. I'm, they're doing it, you know, a, my sense is, again, this is all off of one episode, so I'm hypothesizing here, but my sense is there's going to be a different mystery every week, which is fine. Yeah. But there's going to be this story arc involving the magic behind some of these mysteries or, or whatever is going on. Um, yeah. There were a couple of things stated about um, what happened last night that just made me think that, oh, okay, that element is going to appear in multiple stories um, and maybe the thing that um, ties the the entire series together. So we'll see. I'm like I said, looking forward to it. So if you're looking for uh, something more than, you know, extra, extra mundane outside of the mundane, then yeah, this one, this one fits that bill. Cool. Well, um, let's see uh, on the Apple TV plus front, um, the second season for, for all mankind wrapped up. This is the show where it, uh, you know, the first season starts off where um, uh, mankind landed on the moon, but it was the Russians that got there first. Right. Alternate history. Alternate history. And um, the first season was great, great alternate history sci-fi stuff. I loved it. The second season was slower, Um, you know, much more development of stories and things like that. Didn't move as quickly as the first so I kind of felt that the second season wasn't as strong as the first, but I retract that thought when I saw the season finale because uh, <laughs> the season finale I thought was was fantastic. And okay. I, you know, after watching a string of things uh, like the movie like things like the Snyder cut and the right. uh, and Godzilla versus King Kong and all that stuff where I felt like, come on, wow me, you know, it's supposed to be a big movie. And I was like, oh, so underwhelmed. And then I, after watching the 
last episode of season two of For All Mankind, I was like, that's the feeling I was looking for. Yes. That was okay. the edge of the seat kind of entertainment I wanted. <laughs> cool. Um, and also some interesting, you know, still, you know, it's, they're now in the eighties, you know, so the first one was mostly in the seventies. Right. Um, and then they, the second season's in the eighties with space shuttles and all sorts of things. And even, uh, some real characters, like a major character was Sally Ride. Oh, cool. Uh, obviously a very fictionalized version of Sally of course, Ride that yep, didn't do yep. anything, uh, remotely like the, the real one, but, uh, it was interesting. And then of course, at the end, they tease that the, the next season will be in the nineties, um, you know, jump forward to where our space program is then anyway. So that season's over and, uh, um, it, it definitely, you know, I give it a, 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 like a lukewarm kind of, yeah, it's worth watching, but now as a complete season and you could just binge it all the way to the end, you definitely worth watching. So um, are you, you mentioned Snyder cut. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, I take it you are underwhelmed. Well, I mean, if it, if it had been the only Justice League movie, you know, that had been it. Uh-huh. I would have been like, oh, cool. That was a fun Justice League movie. You know, it would have been okay. four hours worth of fun, though. Well, you know, yeah, true. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a like reimagining of the movie, a re-edit of the movie, I was like, well, I mean, I didn't think it was any better or worse than the original. Okay. Maybe it was better if it wasn't for the length. Like, I mean, make something long enough and you could put enough stuff in it that you could arguably say it's better. I mean, if they'd taken the Justice League and made it a three season television show, it would be hard to compare that with a two and a half hour movie, you know, and say which was, you know, which was more worthwhile. So the same thing here. I mean, you add an hour and a half to it and it's like, okay, there was a lot of cool stuff in here that wasn't in the original movie, but did it you know, which one did I enjoy more when it was all over? Because there was certainly a lot of slowness in there. And it was and a little unevenness too, because I felt like at some point, okay, given four hours, they are going to develop each character, you know, and we'll get to know a lot more about each of these characters. And they didn't, they were mm-hmm. like, we're going to pick a couple of characters and develop them more. And the other ones, you'll, you know, just have uh, as little information as you did in the original movie, maybe even less. Especially so the like, ones that have their own origin story movie coming out anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. So I don't know. So, okay. you know, I'm I didn't have curious. a strong feeling. I mean, certainly it was a decent movie, whereas like King Kong versus Godzilla was a no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it wasn't, hey, it, it, as a movie, it was a it was a poor movie. It was a poor action movie. It was a poor monster movie. It was a generally poor movie in all respects. But hey, still still a lot better than Avatar. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yes, that was my you know, that's where, where it comes. Yeah, anything I, I go to and I'm like, OK, you know, still not as much of a waste of my time as Avatar. Was. Oh, come on. I guess we yeah. really do have oh, a disagreement I here. I, I, I hate Avatar and I'd love to hate Avatar. <laughs> My least Apparently. favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Let's move on to some self-promotion, shall yes. we? Yes. Um, I'd like oh, to point people yeah. at Can Browser Extensions See My Bank Account? This one got released earlier this week. And I am actually surprised at the number of people who are surprised uh, that um, browser extensions are software that can see whatever the heck you're doing. Um, so, uh, that's a worthwhile one. That's askleo.com slash one, three, one, nine, one, five. Um, if, if what I just said scares you, go watch, go, go read that article or watch the video accompanying it because you might, uh, you might rethink, uh, how quickly you install random browser extensions. And in other news, your Uber driver knows where you live and where you went. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know I'll, where your uh, Uber driver is if you drop a tracker in his car. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that's maybe that's how I do it. I leave the tracker in the Uber driver's car and, you know, call like a couple hours later to say, hey, I think I left something in your car. You there know, you to be fair. But in the meantime, <laughs> have some fun. No, um, I will not be doing that for the record. <laughs> uh, so that's not the way I'll go. My my thing that I'll I'll, uh, I'll mention uh, is uh, I did a video for that was Friday. That was uh, things you may not know the Mac calculator app can do. There's a little calculator app that comes with your Mac has been one for forever. And, uh, but a lot of people dismiss it as a, just like, oh, it's a little simple calculator. You can add and subtract and all that. And completely miss the fact that there's a scientific calculator and there's a programming calculator and paper tape and a ton of other cool things kind of hidden in it. So that was a, a 
big hit for the weekend uh, as my Friday video. So I'll link mm. to that. Sure it was. Sounds good. Um, okay. Well, I think that is a pretty good wrap for this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh132. If you've got a comment or a question for us, you can hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment in the show notes page. As always, thanks for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Take care. Bye.